Okay, today's reading is Psalm 98 from the NIV translation. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Brian. Well, we've made it through Thanksgiving and stepped now into that most blessed season that historically in the traditions of the church has been called Advent. And so we're going to be observing Advent through all of December. But before so, let me pray. And uh, we'll explain what Advent is for those of you that are not familiar with that language and ask God to just move. Oh, yes, baptisms. We were going to do baptisms this morning. And then uh, the two folks that were praying about that, and this is actually a really beautiful thing. The two folks that were praying about being baptized, they were baptized when they were younger. We really ask folks like that to pray earnestly. Like, is this, are you, is this something that you feel is necessary in your life as a new expression, confession, point of conversion? And these two prayed and realized, no, our baptism was a legit moment with Jesus Christ. So when that happens, that's a beautiful thing. If you were planning on maybe getting spontaneously baptized today, we just don't set it up because it's a lot of work for our volunteers, honestly. And so if you want to be baptized, let us know, and we will set up a Sunday morning for you to be baptized. Cool? Okay. Uh, well, let's pray. I'd invite you to just uh, breathe into your body now and get present. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the body language here at Neighbors, we're utterly committed to an embodied Christianity that our emotions are important, our sensations are important, our brain and our rationale is important. And more than ever, this present moment today in this room with each other is important. You've gathered us here. Yesterday is gone. We cannot get it back. Tomorrow, we have no control over. We have this moment with each other in this room, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, made one with our triune God through the work of Jesus Christ. And the ache that sits in this room, I invite you now with eyes closed and another breath into your body, feel what you long for, because what you truly long for will only be found in the kingdom of God. Meditate now. That ache, that longing, that looking for satisfaction, contentment, release from the anxiety, hope in the depression, certainty in the confusion, these things find their resolve in your body and in your brain in Jesus Christ alone. I invite you this morning alongside me in the midst of this message to trust him. Trust being an act of surrender. Let go a little bit more. Let him have you a little more fully, and may this Advent season for you and yours be so full and so rich and so joy-giving that you would leave places like these shouting joy 
to the world. Joy to this broken, hurting, lost world. Jesus, through these saints, these evangelists and apostles, these prophets and pastors and teachers, send them to sing joy to the world. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. If you're unfamiliar with the language of church calendar and words like Advent, that is totally normal for a lot of modern Western Christians and the evangelical flavor of church in which we sit. Our particular stream of Christian tradition, we have, I don't know if you know this, but short history lesson, we have our origins in massive revival movements that took place throughout the 60s and 70s that swept all the denominations, Catholic, Protestant, uh, old line denominations swept with the move of the Holy Spirit, huge conversions, hippies getting saved all over the place. It was an incredible time to be in the church. And those churches, in the name of listening to and following the Holy Spirit, they began to sort of cast off the old long-standing liturgies and rhythms of the historical truth or church that had carried us for so long. And that was actually a really good and beautiful thing. They began to innovate new worship styles. In fact, a lot of the songs that you and I sing on these Sunday mornings have their origins and their roots in a departure from the classic hymns that the church had sung for hundreds of years as this revival movement of the Holy Spirit spread throughout the nation, and we departed from these ancient liturgies. Again, very important time, very good thing that happened in those days, but I would argue that today, in this sort of flash-in-the-pan commitment-averse high-speed internet, social media distracted, anxiety-ridden culture, our generation of the church is aching for stability. (laughs) We want something bigger than ourselves. We're tired of innovating, if we're going to be honest, (laughs) tired of entrepreneuring, tired of casting the next new, fresh vision. We want something that is actually historical and something that is anchored. And so leaders like myself, we have been drawn back to the ancient rhythms and liturgies of the church that she's abided by for centuries. And one of those is what has traditionally been called the liturgical church calendar, liturgical church calendar. So this calendar, it follows a cyclical pattern of feasts and celebrations and collective scripture readings and theological emphases throughout the year. And there are varying levels of adherence to the calendar based on the denomination, based on the church tradition in which you find yourself, and the local church community's desires. So we here at Neighbors Church, we follow a very, very loose form of the liturgical calendar as we observe Lent coming up this spring in preparation for the celebration of Easter and Pentecost. Everybody in this room is probably familiar with Easter. That fits on the church calendar. Pentecost. And then during the month of December, we celebrate or we observe the season of Advent. Advent. How many of you just by a show of hands are familiar with Advent? Oh, wow. That's actually really surprising to me. That's fantastic. Well, let's do a little Latin work then. Advent is a Latin term that means uh, arrival. It basically means arrival. That's the best translation of the ancient Latin term Advent. It means arrival. And so through the month of December, historically, we and now presently, alongside thousands of Christian communities across the globe, we together with 
the entire church are reflecting on the first arrival, first advent of God on earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And then Advent is simultaneously a time where we look forward to Jesus's literal second advent, his second arrival, his second return, wherein he will establish finally and fully his cosmic rule throughout all of the universe. So Advent is a season of preparation for God's people. As we collectively take time to look back at the coming of Jesus Christ in the manger, all of those beautiful Christmas stories, and we look forward to the return of Jesus at his physical return. This year, we're going to do something a little bit unique. I haven't heard of churches doing this. This was just a novel idea that I thought would be fun. We're rooting our Advent meditation in a single lyric from one of the most famous Christian Christian hymns of Christmas hymns of all time, Joy to the World. And that little lyric is, let every heart prepare him room. This is our meditation for December. And it's going to bridge us into 2024. 2024's theme, what was, what was 2023's theme? Does anybody remember? Rest is a... Good, good enough. That was good enough. <laughs> 2024... Look away from, look towards. Look away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look towards Jesus, the kingdom, and the spirit. And this preparing him room serves as a bridge to take us into 2024, which is going to be an amazing year for our church. Fun little bit of Christmas hymn trivia for us this morning. Joy to the world was never intended to be a Christmas tune. In fact, it was never intended to be a song at all. Isaac Watts, the original author of Joy to the World, had actually penned it as a poem that was going to go into a compendium of poems based on the Psalms of David. That poem, many, many years later, decades later, was actually put to music. Given the robust themes of joy at the arrival of God's salvation that are articulated in Psalm 98, which we read for our opening, that psalm naturally turned into a song, and it naturally found itself holding a place in the Christian community's Advent observances because it fits so well with the theme. So Psalm 98 is where we're going to begin our Advent meditation this year, and that text is the backbone of the song and the lyric that we're focusing on. I want to say this prophetically, and I want to say this with as much authority as I can muster in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is preparing a season of tremendous joy for us. Joy, joy, joy that you will not be able to do anything but shout to the world. Many in the church, we have been watching, some of us that have been praying for over two decades now, we are beginning to see these little seeds of renewal. They're beginning to burst forth just here and there, and they're bursting forth in the midst of the chaos and the calamity that is the late modern West, that is the global setting in which we find ourselves. As our culture splinters and rages, as anxiety and loneliness continue to increase, as desperation and despair begin to set in around us, as Jesus's community, we are to exist as a parallel society of joy, a parallel society of joy. Now, that term parallel society is actually a technical term taken from sociology and anthropology, and I've been smitten with it for quite a number of years. A parallel society refers to the coexistence of distinct social and cultural communities within a larger society. Now, each of those social communities maintain their own separate norms, their own values, their own practices. And so in a parallel society, different communities live side by side with varying degrees of integration or interaction with one another. 
Parallel societies often maintain separate and unique social networks, institutions, belief structures, and behavioral traditions. I cannot think of a better definition of Jesus's communities broadly and of neighbor's church specifically. Dearest ones, we are becoming a parallel society within the greater society of San Diego. We find ourselves more and more, modeling our life after our master rabbi, Jesus, as we abide by his teachings, our own sets of beliefs and behavioral traditions, we are slowly maturing as a community of love. Honestly, we have some of the best small group leaders in the city of San Diego. The level of maturity in a smaller community like this blows my mind oftentimes, the capacity of gifting represented in this room. We are, as a collective church, wrestling deeply with the complex and difficult nature of how do our particular beliefs and behavioral traditions, how are we supposed to interact with and integrate with our spheres of influence in this society that behaves and believes so very differently than we do? We are learning to trust Jesus and his ways above our own, believing that ultimately he has our highest flourishing and our greatest happiness as his end goal, not only for us, but for joy to the world, which we sing. We are prayerfully, arduously, laboriously creating a parallel society within the broader society of San Diego. Welcome to the Mission of Neighbors Church. I hope you jump in wholesale, full on. Psalm 98 details some of the structure of this parallel society of joy. Not all of it, not exhaustively, but just some of the pieces of what a parallel society of joy looks like. First, by singing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. If you guys have Psalm 98, you can just keep it open there on your laps. I'm going to riff on it here for just a little bit. So worship and praise and thanksgiving expressed in song. This is a heartbeat of joy. You guys ever have just that morning? And they're rare, but the morning where you wake up and you're like, ah, I'm refreshed. I feel good. And you go to make your coffee. And what are you doing while you're making your coffee? <laughs> Whatever hook whatever Taylor Swift hook got stuck in there from yesterday, you're just humming away at it. Why? Because joy expresses itself in lightness, in buoyancy, in song. Song is one of the most expressive components of joy. And as we sing these songs, it's not only melodies and lyrics and harmonies and humming that we do. It's not just songs with music that mark a parallel society of joy. That's part of it. But each of your lives are a note in this infinite symphony that God is creating in harmony with himself and the world. Your life is a song unto God and a song sung over the city of San Diego. So we shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp and with the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn and with pianos. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. As Shua has taught us so well, we are what? A choir of saints. A choir of saints. We are a society of singers. And in the midst of trouble and trial, we continue to lift our voices and instruments and our lives of all sorts to say thank you to God. Gratitude ultimately undergirds every word of, every word of the songs of the saints. And so our songs we recognize, the songs of the church, the songs of neighbors, are both sober and somber, lamenting the pain of the world in a minor key. In a room, even this size, the representative Pain and pleasure, joy and blessing is virtually without measure across the scope. 
So some this morning are in your seats singing songs of lament and pain and hurt and wounding, while others are singing songs of great joy, jubilant and boisterous, literally shouting the goodness of God in the major key. Our lives are also songs of deeper and deeper surrender. We surrender more so to what God has accomplished in Jesus already. We look back and we surrender to what God has promised to bring to fulfillment in the future, Advent. We look forward to that second arrival. Our songs are songs of faith as much as anything else because we are learning to see with the eyes of our heart. Because if we look through our physical eyes, so much of what we see is far, far, far from heaven on earth. Now, we know Neurochemically, we know that the physical act of smiling, the physical act of singing and shouting literally changes the neurochemistry in our nervous systems, the neurochemistry of the people around us. When we sing together, when we shout, when we applaud, there is something that happens in the actual physicality of our bodies that transforms us. And so... For those of us that are big feelers, you need to hear this clearly. There is a discipline and practice to singing songs and allowing your life to become a song unto God. And this does not mean that we force it or fake it. When we come in with a song of lament, we don't have to paste a fake smile on our face, but there is a long history, a long history of songs of hope and joy that are sung through tears and fear. We sing, though. We sing, and we sing, and we sing. And that is not inauthentic. That's not faking it till you make it. That is what faith is. It is built and developed. And for some of you, you're reaching a stage of Christian maturity where God will invite you into very cloudy, dark spaces where you will sing and you'll say, I feel nothing. But you will sing joy to the world because you know there's a subterranean joy underneath that emotionless, sense of dryness. You continue as a maturing Christian to let your life be a song of surrender. At other times, and this is more rare as you mature as a Christian, but at other times, we literally cannot contain ourselves because Jesus Christ's salvation, his love, his presence, it becomes so overwhelming in our brains and our bodies that we literally feel like we will burst if we don't shout it out. I have literally started yelling here on Sunday mornings. It may trip some of you out, and that's all right. That's okay. But literally on some Sunday mornings, Joshua's probably one of the best worship leaders in San Diego. And literally, there'll be times where that guy, dude, he'll hit that note, and I'm just like, yeah! I can't help it. And I'm done being embarrassed. I am done caring what you guys think about your pastor sitting up front yelling. <laughs> Yell with me. Shout with me. We are a society together, shouting joy to the, to the world. And our God wants to give this world joy it's like a river that presses up against a dam for Christians often. The grace and mercy of God begins to just pile up higher and higher against that dam, and his love begins to exert more and more pressure against this fear of what we think people will think about us if we do something in the midst of worship until that dam just breaks open and we begin to dance like fools for his glory. Why? Why? Psalm 98. Because he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He's remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. A society of joy is constantly living in remembrance, resting in the promise that all wrongs, every single wrong against you and against this world, every wrong you've ever committed is being made right, has been made 
made right and will be made fully right through the cross, the resurrection, and the future advent, arrival, return of Jesus Christ. Though our world is racked with trouble and suffering, God's right hand is always, always, always working salvation in, through, and from it all. And this salvation is being made known to all the nations. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is invited to surrender to Jesus as king. And so, as a society of joy, we are a multinational, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-aged, multiplying, evangelizing, converting, disciple-making, apprentice-making community. One soul at a time, a parallel society of joy, brings all the voices of the people of planet Earth into harmony with their creator, and creation itself, we're told in Psalm 98, leaps for joy. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so we, neighbors, in microcosm, we are the imperfect beginning of what the entire cosmos will be in full one day, a society of every tribe, tongue, and nation living in right relationship with God and with each other and with creation itself. Now, understand something about this. This was great. The guys put notes into the teaching notes. It was really helpful. So many Christians think of eternal life as white robes, maybe some wings, some little naked babies flying around. Uh, You know, you're playing your harp for all of eternity, and nobody wants to do that for (laughs) forever. That sounds absolutely awful. The resurrected life that you and I are certain of and are heading toward is going to be much like it is now. We're going to have real, real bodies. The technical term is corporeal, touchable. Real bodies like these, like Jesus. Where you're going to have real purposes. You realize you're going to have something to do in the kingdom of God on a restored heaven and earth, and you're going to love what you do. You're going to find meaning in everything that you do, in every second that you do it. You're going to have places to explore, songs to sing, literally. The key difference of the resurrected life will be that the perfect king will have judged and made everything right. There will be perfect equality. There will be living and loving without sin, without selfishness, without satanic attack and deception, without suffering. This is your sure and certain future. I don't know how you can't shout about that if you believe that. And the reason that we don't shout is because we believe what the person thinks about us sitting next to us is more important than that reality. This is a very gentle pastoral, come on, y'all, sing joy to the world because you and I are being transformed into what God has always intended humanity to be. You are becoming a creature of infinite goodness, of mercy, of wisdom beyond wisdom beyond wisdom, of goodness, of joy that you can barely even begin to scratch the surface of. Every bit of your life now is being superintended by the Holy Spirit and transforming you into who you were always intended to be, a queen and king who co-rules alongside Jesus, judging angels, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, judging the nations, ruling the universe, kindly and benevolently like Jesus would. In this life, though, in this life, our songs are always going to be just a little bit off pitch. Most of you don't know this. Alexis and I played in bands, and we're both musicians, and wrote songs, and did all that stuff. So as as musicians, I can tell you, when somebody is off pitch, there's just nothing more grating in the world. And the church, the church, she's always in this life just a little bit off pitch, just a little bit. 
And sometimes the church in this generation and in this world is way off pitch because we are learning to harmonize our lives with the voices and the songs of the king. We're always going to be in this life a little bit offbeat, a little bit out of the pocket, because we're learning to walk in the new rhythms of the kingdom of God on earth as they are in heaven. It's like trying to, yeah, it's a whole new song that we're learning to sing. And so we're building this society of joy in the midst of sadness and missteps, in the midst of struggle and travail. And yes, it's going to be an arduous, slow labor, one that requires radical commitment and unwavering steadfastness if we're going to experience fullness of flourishing as God intends. Um, I didn't, yeah. If you watch people that train at very high levels, my, my daughter's one of those people. She, she's a classical pianist. She practices hours and hours and hours on end. It's arduous. It's laborious. But what can come through her fingers because of that arduous, slow labor is flourishing. It's, it's, it's kingdom of God. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because maturing healthy Christians, they comprise these parallel societies of joy. A maturing Christian is on a trajectory. Yes, there's going to be massive peaks and valleys, and there's going to be long seasons of suffering and failings and frustrations and songs in minor keys accompanied by these moments of unadulterated joy and peace and love. But over time, a Christian community begins to realize, oh, joy isn't the absence of sadness, And peace is not the absence of anxiety. Those are myths and lies that the world has given us. Instead, a a parallel society of joy is learning to trust Jesus as a greater act of surrender, learning to let go of more control, learning to rest in his will, and to intentionally turn from the values of the world for the sake of the kingdom. Now, in contrast to that, immature and unhealthy apprentices of Jesus tend to look like and act like the society around them unintentionally and sometimes intentionally adopting the patterns, perspectives, and practices of the world and then just trying to stamp Jesus' name onto those things. It's a very dangerous thing. We all exist and all communities exist on a spectrum of healthy to unhealthy, unwell to well, immature to mature. We're always moving on that spectrum, but a maturing community of crisis is moving upward and to the right, not in the world's success terms, but in the kingdom terms. Let's say downward and to the left, greater and greater servants, greater and greater humility. Over time, slowly, arduously laboring at these things. And so a parallel society of joy is going to be very sober-minded and introspective, continually comparing and contrasting our lives with the life of Jesus. The Advent question we're going to ask over this month is, does my life and network of relationships more consistently reflect the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, or am I and my network of relationships mirroring this society? Just leave that up for a little bit, Anthony. Am I mirroring the society? Well, I'm going somewhere with this, so just please stay with me. Next quote. Henry Nowen, Nowen, spiritual author and theologian of a generation gone by, said this. It is not enough for the priests and ministers of the future to be moral people, well-trained, eager to help their fellow humans. That's what all of us are in this room. We all want to be good people. We all want to help people. We all want that. The central question is, Are the leaders and the people of Jesus' church, that's us, of the future, truly people of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness? We are here trying, and that's a noble and good thing, 
We want God's presence. We want to hear his voice. We want to see his beauty. But dearest church, this generation of the church can no longer be duped into thinking that there's going to be this singular event or moment where it just all of a sudden becomes good. There are no magic incantations to just pray the anxiety away in an instant. It's not going to happen. The pursuit of instantaneous deliverance from the things that ail us, depression or fear or fatigue and loneliness, that, that, that desire for instantaneous deliverance in the moment, that's a byproduct of living in a one easy step to this, self-help, biohacking, high-speed internet, fast food, Amazon delivery culture. And this culture has no category for the biblical mandates of patience, of waiting, of discomfort. Learning to embrace discomfort as a transformative reality in our souls. Discipline, regiment, consistency, practice, commitment. I'm squirming under those words right now. The things a parallel society of joy is built on, God's presence, hearing God's voice, seeing God's beauty, tasting his infinite goodness, can only come through consistent moments, one after another, lived in conscious partnership with God as we practice living out our future resurrection here and now. And it is a lifelong process of transformation through daily embodied actions that create space for God to be with us, speak to us, and taste his goodness. Christianity is a long apprenticeship under the master. And along the way, now listen, along the way, we may be given, you may show up here on a Sunday morning and Joshua will hit that note just right and arpeggio those keys in just the right space where all of a sudden you're like, I'm delivered. I'm forever joyful. I'm never going to deal with anxiety again, but I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. What I'm trying to ward off, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to pat, like get us on the right fork on the road here is stop coming to church looking for the moment of deliverance and reframe coming to church as this is one day in a day of a week of formation where I have about a million things I'm going to do this week. And this is going to contribute to the rest of what I do this week in forming space and place for God to meet with me, speak to me, and let me taste his goodness. Does that make sense? Okay. Progress is made in the minutia and the mundanity of daily life. What I mean is progress is made in the moments where you're bored out of your mind, dry, I don't think I want to do this. That is where the Holy Spirit is meeting you. That is where you're being transformed. That is where you're being made faith-filled and faithful. The rest of this Advent series is going to focus on one of the most fundamental. Now, we're going to turn a corner here. So everybody just stick with me. Stick with me. We're going to turn a corner now into the rest of the Advent series. This was all set up, okay? The rest of this Advent series is going to focus on, we're going to dial in on one of the most fundamental and necessary practices for finding and cultivating joy in the presence of God. Don't put it up yet, Anthony. Wait. Wait for it. Wait. I want to ask you guys a question. By a show of hands, how many of you are longing to grow and become a little more peaceful, a little more content, and have less anxiety? Show of hands. Okay. Are you willing to do what it's going to take to begin to grow in that? Show of hands. Okay, I'm holding I'm. You guys want to sign some papers? Because what I'm about to say, some of you are going to roll your eyes at. What are the practices? Silence and solitude. <laughs> For those that are part of neighbors, I get it. The eye roll, Dan, back to his silence and solitude. Hippie, barefoot, come on, give me a break. For those of you that are new to neighbors, this is a mainstay practice of ours, and I think it may be one of the most important practices for the modern Christian. Silence and solitude. For the rest of this month, Advent 
in the midst of songs sung in the midst of Santa Claus and candy canes and cinnamon cookies and family gatherings, we also want to acknowledge that Advent is a time of quiet ache. Now, you all raised your hands. I brought you through this long progression of Psalm 98, the harmony of all people singing joy to the world. We sort of began to land the plane talking about what this is going to take, arduous, slow, long, and you all raised your hands. This is, in my personal experience, I would never try to impose on you, but in my personal experience, embodied silence has become the most important practice as far as developing in me an ability to discern my own sort of depression and my own anxiety and to not be rid of it. That's the myth but to learn where it's guiding me, how it's taking me deeper into the presence of God, where then there's a subterranean joy that sort of is like a river. And the banks of it tend to be depression and anxiety on this side, but I'm in this joy river. And it's not like, joy river every day. It's more like a groaning, aching joy. Silence and solitude, church. And for those of you that roll your eyes, oh man, Dan, back on a silence and solitude thing, it's because you're not doing it yet. I talk with you guys. I talk with you guys. And we're going to come back to this over and over and over until I hear you saying, you know, the other day in 20 minutes of silence, I had this happen. Not, oh, yeah, we talk about it all the time, but I've never actually done it. (laughs) Silence and solitude. We're just going to look at this through a multifaceted diamond perspective next week. uh, Brie Golden, she's a dear friend of our church. She's going to come and talk about the secret place in the context of silence and solitude. And then uh, I'll do an entire teaching on the concrete ways of doing silence and solitude after Brie. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to settle in next to the manger and just be in the stillness of God as a baby. Now, I don't want this to feel like a 180 in this teaching because it's not. Advent, as I said, is a season of ache and quiet. Now, for those of you that haven't been here, we've spent 12 weeks in the Our Father, actively petitioning, actively interceding. And so Advent now is a time to collectively slow down, to become still, to start looking for answers, to start seeing where hope is propping up from our praying the Our Father, and to listen in the silence for God's responses to our prayers and to rest. Yes, Advent is about songs of joy and all the peoples of this planet being harmonized and rivers clapping and mountains singing but we do so recognizing the quiet ache that these things are not yet fully realized for us personally or the world. And so there is a sobriety to Advent, and it's marked by a silence that speaks our longings louder than words, and it's framed by a solitude that reminds us we are hoping for this splintered humanity to one day fully be one with each other and with God. Silence and solitude are fundamental building blocks to societies of joy. Let every heart prepare him room. This is our meditation. Advent is this time for us to prepare room for God, to open our hearts and invite Jesus to come more completely into every facet of our existence. When I said, I believe our people, this church is prepared for a tremendous outpouring of joy, it will come first as we begin to clear the house of our hearts more thoroughly more fully. We have to clear the, the, the clutter of the patterns and perspectives of our fallen society from our souls for a more radical, we have to prepare room for a more radically different vision of what life is, a radically different di- vision of what success is, what power is, what joy in the way of the kingdom of God is. And so silence and solitude is a space and place where we are emptied of all of these noises and all of these influences. We're just alone with our soul and ourself, no one to impress 
press, no words to speak, no coverings to put on, just God and us. And that is where we can finally begin to hear his guidance and his presence in new and afresh. For true joy to abound, we have to be ruthlessly honest with our spiritual state of heart. Advent is a season for each of us to set back in the midst of songs sung and Christmas cookies and Santa Claus and gift gathering and family gatherings and really ask ourselves, what have I been letting into my heart, my soul, my life? What am I being formed by? What am I believing? And the only way that you can begin to truly know that is to turn off all the noise and be in the silence and to escape all the social influences and sit in solitude. Now, This is Bible stuff for those of you that are new to these ideas. This is deeply rooted in Jesus Christ's life. Jesus gave us this model, and his communities that followed thereafter gave us a model to follow as well, embracing these practices of silence and solitude. And so for Jesus, in the midst of political strife, here comes 2024, in the midst of oppression and panic, in the midst of more wars and earthquakes and whatever plague this world decides to throw at us in the next whatever years, should Jesus not return, Jesus always practiced rhythms of retreat into deep solitude to return back to society with power and vision and wisdom and the joy of the kingdom of God as his foundation, his focus, his reason. Now, track with me just a little bit longer and we're going to come to communion. Hundreds of years after Jesus, hundreds of years, like 300, 400 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, what began as a fledgling community of vagabonds and outcasts, 400 years later had become the most powerful people in all of the globe. Christianity took over not only Roman society, but began spreading across the globe. And so by the fourth century AD, Christianity held the cultural high ground. And being at the top of the social hierarchy actually polluted the purity of the church, polluted the humility of the church, the faith of the church, and the pursuits of the church. What Christians were doing in the fourth century, tell me if this sounds like modern Christianity, Christians were just stamping Jesus' name onto their political agendas, their social agendas, their moral and their worldly agendas, according to the surrounding society's values and ethics. This is a temptation for you and I. Some of us may not even know. There are so many things in my own life where I have not even realized I've just been pursuing the values of the world, praying my guts out and adding in Jesus' name to get the values of the world added to my life. And then I go into silence and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've been chasing the wrong thing in Jesus' name. Holy moly. In solitude where all of what this world says matters, suddenly, and oftentimes not suddenly, slowly, like a fog beginning to clear, you begin to see like, oh, wow. And it's a long, slow, hard journey into that place. And so our third and fourth and fifth century brothers and sisters, stirred by the Spirit as the cultural high ground was held by Christianity, what they did is they said, we're going to flee into the deserts. We're going to go into deep silence and solitude. We're going to leave the distraction of anxiety of our society. And eventually, these early pioneers formed communities out in the deserts that today we call monasteries. Now, today, today, there's literally a renewal movement happening. You guys don't know about this, but the circles that, that my wife and I run in and the churches that we're a part of across the nation now and really across the English-speaking world, as far as we can tell, there is this renewal movement happening. And it is this metaphorical fleeing of God's people back to these ancient practices, back to the deserts to once again do what? Prepare room in our hearts for the presence of God. So, does this mean that Neighbors Church is looking for property out east of El Centro? 
where we're going to start our little neo-monastic commune. Absolutely. <laughs> you guys know I'm all about that, but it's just not going to happen. I would do it. Somebody want to pony up? Let's go. <laughs> we are late Western moderns, extremely busy, tethered to our communities, which is a good thing, tethered to our careers, which is a good thing. It, most 99.999% of us in this room cannot just flee off to El Centro and sit out there and ponder our navel in the hope of becoming pure and affecting this world. And really, the big mistake that the monks made the big mistake that the monks made was they fled the deserts, but they, in some measure, abandoned their missional responsibility to stay within the cities. Now, that's arguable, and that's a broad brush statement. And for those of you that are in the neo-monastic space, I recognize we could sit down and have a couple-hour conversation about the nature of mission and responsibility and being in a space and contextualizing the gospel, all that stuff. But what I want you to hear here at Neighbors Church is we are praying to become a modern urban monastery. We may not live in the same buildings. We may not live in the same rooms with each other. But we are developing a rule of life alongside now hundreds of other churches. We are developing a rule of life by which our life lives in rhythm of the kingdom of God with the church in the midst of our city so that whether we're shouting joy to the world or just softly walking through our days with a gentle smile on our face and somebody's like, I kind of like that person. Why would I want to get to know them? Because the song of salvation is being sung through your life because you're practicing these things. You're practicing these things. So in the monasteries and the monks, silence and solitude became refuge from the noise of the world. We have to create deserts here for the sake of our souls and for the sake of the world. Here's what Merton said, Thomas Merton, in Introduction to the Wisdom of the Desert Fathers. He said, Society, we're almost done. Society was regarded by the Desert Fathers as a shipwreck. Sound familiar? It's a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life and woman. These were men and women who believed that to let oneself drift along passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as a society was purely and simply a disaster. It's a disaster for the church to just adopt the agendas and perspectives of the surrounding society and stamp Jesus' name on it. That's a disaster. And in some places, some, not all, but in some places and spaces in our souls, the anxiety and the depression and the ache that we're feeling is Jesus trying to liberate us from living for the values of the world. He's inviting you to solitude, to be stripped of the things of this world, the things that we think are so, so, so important, and to reframe our image and vision of who he is and what we are in this world, because we're just temporary. We're just temporary. Now, Merton would go on and he would say this. The desert fathers and mothers knew that they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. Christianity is not a sophisticated self-help program. During Advent, as I invite you and teach you and train you to practice silence and solitude, I don't want you to adopt this mentality that silence is going to be this place where you go in and, and it's just relaxing and so nice and, you know, maybe silence is like getting a massage and going to the spa. I mean, that could be part of it, but I think that's more recreation. The actual practice of silence is um, it's a little more difficult than that. And solitude, for a lot of us, can be terrifying, and we'll talk about that. 
But as we become a parallel society of joy, our way forward, the big idea for Advent, is that we're being invited into secret places of silence and solitude. And I already, I already have the list of, but Dan school, but Dan new babies, but Dan new marriage, but Dan dating, but Dan career, but Dan, all the things that we as late Western moderns would say keep us from the places of solitude and silence. And what I would say is the creator of the universe knows what you need, and he knows that you need some place of silence and some place of solitude. Therefore, there is space in your life somewhere that you are denying or ignoring or resisting. It is, that's the case for me 100% of the time. There is 20 minutes at some space in my week to sit and be completely still before God. There are spaces and places that this can be done in every stage of life at some degree to the degree that God wants to bless you with life and love and joy. Okay, one more time. I know this is silly, but just in our bodies, how many of us want Advent to be a season of, of growing joy? Show of hands. Me too. Here's what Manning says, Brenning Manning. Perseverance, perseverance in the lifelong quest for greater intimacy with Jesus no matter how often we stumble and fall, all of us sort of stumble and fall our way in to life. That's what we're all doing. None of us are just feeling like we've got it so together. Each one of us together in this room collectively are stumbling in here with our missteps, our pain, our struggles, our fears. And no matter how often we stumble and fall, no matter how... No matter how far away from God you feel like your deconstruction or your dryness is taking you, no matter how angry you feel about situations or circumstances in your life, this perseverance in this lifelong quest for intimacy with Jesus, it is not only the antidote to hopelessness and despair, it is the sure, and I would argue, it is the only path to divine certitude that overcomes all doubts, anxieties, and worries. Our king is inviting us. He's inviting us to a deeper, fuller, long, slow, arduous formation of a society of joy. This year, this month, Jesus is inviting your soul to experience a sense of his presence, renewed and afresh. But when you sing, prepare him room, that's not just a magic sort of incantation joy to the world, prepare him room. And then all of a sudden it's, no, you have to prepare him room. You have to prepare him room. He wants you to. Father, please bring to the forefront of each of these souls' minds whatever burden they brought in here today, whatever unmet expectation, whatever lost dream, whatever point of value they think would make their life so worthy, so accepted, so significant, whatever, whatever hope and dream they think would finally bring that contentment, that satisfaction, bring them into this present moment, this present prayer with you into silence. We together in this room, a collective one, just here turning off the noise of the world. How I pray for myself and how I pray for these sweet and beautiful souls. Give them reprieve from the addiction to social media. Please heal their brains. 
please give them reprieve. Please, God, this week, give them a moment where they might say to themselves, I have self-control in this moment to, to do less scrolling and to listen to the Spirit. Just once give them that grace, please, and bolster their strength. This week, Father, for those of us that well up with anxiety and frustration and anger as we read the news feeds, may we depart from those readings and just go sit quietly and let the ache and pain of this world be carried to you in silent prayer, in quiet prayer. And I pray that we, the modern monks of San Diego, would serve well this city as a parallel society within her and for her, focused on her. And I pray in Jesus' name, I pray in Jesus' name, that over the course of Advent and through 2024, Neighbors Church, she would be known for her songs of joy to the world. That throughout the city, this community would become an uplifting song of joy to, the, to our fellow Christians, Lord, who are struggling and frustrated and wrestling along and uncertain and wavering. May this church become just a place of songs of joy songs of satisfaction, songs of hope, songs of faith, because you have done marvelous things in Jesus Christ through the cross. You've already made things right. Fill us with your spirit this morning, Lord, as we come to a close, as we sing and worship and sing over one another and to one another. This, the table has been set for us for Advent now. May we feast with you in solitude. May we feast with you in silence. Teach us and guide us. Give us those spaces and places. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.